don't get too high and don't get too low. I think one of the challenges that all entrepreneurs go through is, is you know, one day you think you're going to the moon, and the next day you're going out of business, <laughs> and the truth is always in the middle. Yep. Uh, and then not worrying so much about competitors. Uh, put your head down, go build a great business, uh, and, and everything else will take care of itself. And the show that plugs you into the massive opportunities in startups and tech hubs beyond Silicon Valley that are exploding with potential. I'm your host, Matt Hunkler, and today's guest is Eric Tobias, an experienced entrepreneur, venture investor, and partner at High Alpha. We're going to get into all of that and more on today's show, but first, would you like to discover even more interesting companies, stories, and strategies to help you reach your full potential? then you can get the full inside scoop with Powder Keg's hand-curated newsletter, The Spark, delivered to your inbox each week with the tech news and opportunities outside of Silicon Valley that you really should know. There's tons of opportunity there, and I really want to help you tap into a lot of that. So just go on over to powderkeg.com, sign up right on the homepage, and each Thursday you'll get an email directly from me with the most important stories, trends, and companies in tech. It's curated by some of the most connected people in tech hubs between the coasts with insights that you're not going to find anywhere else. So again, that's powderkeg.com, P-O-W-D-E-R-K-E-G, powderkeg, all one word, dot com. Okay, today's guest on the show is Eric Tobias, and Eric is an experienced entrepreneur and venture investor. Uh, in fact, he was one of the earliest entrepreneurs that we had on the powder keg stage going back probably a decade ago when this fledgling community between the coast was taking off. He started several companies with successful exits, uh, two public companies, including Batteries.com and iGo Digital. Most recently, he was the VP of product at Salesforce and Exact Target before being acquired. And today, Eric is a partner at High Alpha, a venture studio in Indianapolis that conceives, launches, and scales high-growth B2B software companies. They invest in software companies across North America, and Eric serves as a board member with many of these companies. And you may recognize High Alpha from many of our other guests on this uh, podcast. Um, Eric is has tons of accolades from being in CIOs 30 under 30, IBJ's 40 under 40, Inc. Magazine 500 fastest growing companies many times over. Uh, and he's just a great guy. Uh, we recorded this conversation in February of 2020, which was just before the global pandemic uh, and before we went fully virtual. So it was our last physical event we hosted at Powder Keg. Uh, and we hosted it at the Vogue, which is uh, actually owned by Eric. And it's a historic theater in Indianapolis, Indiana. We get into that as well as so much more from software to entrepreneurship um, to just growing in your career. And uh, I'm really grateful for this conversation. So without further ado, here's Eric Tobias. I'm really excited to talk to you, man, because you've got an amazing past. I could probably talk to you for this entire time only about your past um, and, and the early days. But can you take me back to your earliest memory of just when you knew you had that entrepreneurial bug? Um, I was always somebody who had a lot of jobs, uh, going back to fifth, sixth, seventh grade, uh, mowing lawns, uh, cleaning shoes. I mean, I just did all kinds of odd things. Um, the first time I knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur was probably in college when I started, 
doing things around uh, digital work and getting paid for it and, and realizing that I would do it even if I wasn't getting paid. Uh, that if I could figure out how to keep doing that, it'd be pretty cool. And, do you remember uh, your first job? Your first digital job? Uh, yeah, so I went to IU and uh, yeah, go IU. The Hoosiers. And nice tie-in to the Vogue here. So I got, inv- I got really into listening to live music and uh, started recording shows, bootlegs they were called back then. And we would trade them on audio cassettes. And the way to... What do- is an audio cassette? Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> Sound like a dinosaur. <laughs> uh, but the way to facilitate that was through the internet. And uh, so I needed to learn how to code in order to build my website. And... Um, that, you know, that, that was really how I got into tech. And did you teach yourself how to code? I did, yep. Wow. How did you, a little how did notepad you... and, uh, you know, view source and copy the best, and, <laughs> and away we go. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I, I know uh, ultimately you found your way into marketing technology. Yeah. How did you find your way into that sector, which, of course, tonight we're going to have almost 400 people here from around the city and around the country to celebrate the awesome marketing tech scene right here in Indianapolis. How did you find your way into that sector so early on? Yeah, so right out of school, I had the privilege of starting a company called Batteries.com, which was an e-commerce site that sold specialty batteries, laptops, and camcorders, and cell phone batteries. And uh, it's, we started it in 1999, and at that point, there was no Google. You know, there, there were some listings of sites, uh, but, but no formal search. And when Google came around, uh, it, it really opened up everybody's eyes to the power of being able to attract eyeballs to these digital things. And so in order to build our business, we needed to figure out how to go tell the world that we existed. And, um, you know, we did a lot of early effort to figure out how to run PPC and uh, ad campaigns and, and, and all that kind of thing. And in and, and that process, I got really just ingrained in it because it was the intersection of data and creative. Mm-hmm. And, and it kind of itched both sides of my, my brain. Um, and then that led to, you know, a lot of things within Batteries.com around helping guide customers to buy the right product. Uh, any, any lessons in that intersection between data and creative? I think a lot of people might cringe at that, yeah. either on the data side or on the creative side. Yeah. Tell me what that means to you. Well, um, I, I mean, they're so intertwined, especially today. Yeah. The, you know, everything is optimized. And as we, you know, if you look out in the future, uh, you, you know, algorithms, artificial intelligence, all of that is, is going to continue to, to, to make decisions for us or, or help us make decisions. Uh, the piece that I think will always be an important part of the recipe that the computer is going to have a really hard time replicating is the, is the creative process. Absolutely. And, and, and the creative uh, message and, and, and uh, you know, visuals and all that goes with it. And it, it's been one of the more interesting parts of, of my career is when you're internally arguing, well, it should say this, or well, it should do that. And then you actually go and test it and let the data tell you which one's the winner you know, inevitably, it's not the one you thought. <laughs> right. And, and so it just kind of reinforces that uh, you got to have both sides working together. Is there anything that you do, or maybe you did in the past, to kind of flex and grow your creative muscle? Uh, music is, is, is that piece for me. And then um, I'm very much a, you know, I have a lot of extrovert qualities, but I'm very much an introvert. And so the piece that helps me be creative 
is making sure that I have my life in a balanced state where I have time to rejuvenate and, and spend quiet time, and, and, and that it directly leads me to music. Yeah. I spend that quiet time you know, listening and, and, and kind of being contemplative. Well, I want to make sure I talk to you more about music and the Vogue, but I, I don't want to miss uh, sort of your big aha with Batteries.com and how you ended up starting iGo Digital. Yeah, so uh, again, very fortunate. I was 22 when I started the company and had a lot of people helping me. And uh, over the... Was there one person that really kind of helped push you over the edge or um, gave you that one piece of advice that... Probably my father, yeah. uh, just encouraging me to go for it and you know, uh, realizing that that point in my life was a great time to take a risk. Um, so pro- probably he'd be the one. But uh, the way that uh, it kind of evolved is... We, we got to working with big retailers, and we had Walmart and Best Buy and those kind of folks as customers. And I was out to dinner one night with a CMO of Best Buy, really great opportunity, and um, this was in probably 2004. And he said, uh, ironic now, 15 years later, he said, our stores are incredible. We have great salespeople. They'll help you find exactly what you need. Our online website is like a flea market. It's just... <laughs> you know, all these products and nobody can figure it out. Now, today, we know that that's actually been reversed. Right. Uh, or, or certainly on par. Yep. Uh, but it was that kind of spark of a comment that led me to think software can solve that. The online shopping experience can be better. And um, that led me to, to, to iGo Digital. Is there anything you do when you have that spark of an idea to really test it and see, like, is this just an anomaly? Uh, or do you just go after it until you hit a wall? Yeah, I had one last night, and I couldn't sleep. And uh, so all day today, I've been <laughs> either writing it down, and, and because if you can't write it down, you can't articulate it. Yep. Uh, and then I just try to tell everybody I can and, yep. and get feedback and have people say, well, don't you know so-and-so is already doing that? Or, oh, my gosh, that's a dumb idea for you know, X, Y, and Z reason. But sharing before you're ready, uh, as Max Yoder says, is, is, I think, a critical part of the process. Uh, and then and then being able to, to to document it. I totally agree. And we've had Max on the podcast actually twice already. Oh, nice. Um, so he's he's been an, an amazing guest. And I agree on the share before you're ready piece. Um, don't you ever want worry, uh, especially being a venture capitalist and looking at IP and things like that, if, if someone's stealing your idea? Yeah, I, I get asked that a lot. Yep. Um, no is the short answer. <laughs> okay. uh, and it's not that ideas don't matter. Ideas are really really important. But the execution is, is where, you know, the money's made, quote-unquote. Um, you have to be able to understand how to take the idea and get that first customer and then get that second and third and tenth and hundredth customer. Uh, and, and that's where the work is done. Also, the, you know, I think there's so many ideas today that already exist, meaning the new ideas are sort of derivatives or, or mashups of existing things where you're making it better or you're using new technology to improve upon the workflow or the system. Uh, the idea that we're just going to walk down the street and have an original thought that somebody in Seattle or Austin isn't already working on, I, I, I just don't believe that. And so it's very much about how do you uh, outwork and, and out-execute. Well, and I think a great example of that is just how different the marketing tech space is now than it was back in, was it 2011 they got? The, 2012. 2012, yeah. you got acquired by Exact Target. Yeah. Well, you didn't get acquired, but Igo Digital got acquired yeah. by Exact yeah. Target. Yeah. Um, 
what differences have you seen in the landscape? What are some of the biggest differences you've seen from 2012 to now in the whole marketing tech space? Because I know you've got a lot of portfolio companies in that space. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, you know, I think the idea that at, at that time, social media was still a, a, a rising channel. Mobile was still thought of as a rising channel. Uh, and this idea that consumers don't think about... Uh, that's the email channel, or that's the mobile channel. That's just right. how they interact. Right. And we live in a world where you're always on, and, and you're, you have access through a lot of different places to brands. Uh, that, that Marketing tech has to be able to respond to that, that, that we need to be able to understand who Matt is, regardless of how you're coming in or, or whether you're a known user or a, a customer or whatever it may be. And, um, and, and I, think, I think that's a... That was a thought back then. I think today it's just kind of understood. I think the other big part of it is uh, the level of expectation from the consumer as it relates to software has gone up dramatically. So when we launched our business at iGo Digital, we launched it uh, Black Friday, so the day uh, biggest you know, shopping day of the year, sure. and we were a startup. And the, the user experience I'm embarrassed about. I mean, it was terrible. Uh, no way would that happen today. A, you know, the, the customers are more educated, the retailers are more educated, and we're all using software so much more that if an experience doesn't match our expectation, there's so many options, we just give up quicker. Yeah. So the, the, as it relates to early stage companies, you know, your MVP's got to be better. Uh, as it relates to ideas, it's got to be more thought out. Uh, and as it relates to funding, you know, it just takes more to build companies these days. Yeah. Well, and, and talk to me a little bit about that because uh, you're in a very different phase of your life now than the last time you did a, a fireside chat back in 2011, 2012, yes. whenever that was. Um, talk to me about that shift. It, it, are you in a different headspace entirely as a VC than you were in the CEO role? Um, I definitely don't like to refer to myself as a VC, uh, even though that is what I do. But I, we are still operators. You yeah. know, uh, Mike, Scott, Christian, and I, and all the team at iAlpha, we're building companies day in and day out. Sure, uh, that's what's unique about our model. We're, we're both a studio and a and a fund, and uh, I continue to have great empathy for entrepreneurs uh, because I, I face a lot of those challenges every day myself. Of yeah. how are we going to get the next customer? How are we going to build this product? How are we not going to run out of money? Um, I think the thing that is different is through the iGo Digital experience and then spending time at Salesforce, I have, I've had a peek on what it looks like to achieve scale, and it's no longer scary. Uh, in fact, it, 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 I've embraced that ambition level of uh, if, if we can do it one time, we can do it lots of times. And um, I think entrepreneurs need help. Uh, if, if nothing else, just coaching and, and talking through that and reinforcing that they're doing the right things and helping them stay in the lines. And so a, a big part of what I view my role uh, now as a VC is, is not only to apply the experience that I had, but also apply the mentality mm. that, 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 that maybe was missing uh, or that could have been stronger uh, when I was an operator myself. What's one of the most uh, frequently given pieces of advice on operator mindset? Yeah, uh, don't get too high and don't get too low. I think one of the challenges that all entrepreneurs go through is, is you know, one day you think you're going to the moon, and the next day you're going out of business, and the truth is always in the middle. Uh, and then not worrying so much about competitors. Uh, put your head down, go build a great business, uh, and, and everything else will take care of itself. And, and don't get hung up in, you know, the minutia of, of, of what others are doing. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's great advice. What are you most excited about right now? You're, you're seeing a lot of different companies, a lot of different ideas. Uh, what are some of the spaces or sectors that you think are going to be the biggest growth opportunities, whether it's an investment or starting a company uh, or existing companies extending their offering yeah. into that space? I mean, gosh, there's so many, but a couple things come to mind. Sure. Uh, we worked on a sprint week last week, which is our process at High Alpha for new company creation. And uh, I was reminded that a company like MailChimp, everybody's heard of MailChimp, worked with MailChimp. Uh, MailChimp is about an $800 million business serving kind of small to medium-sized businesses. MailChimp was started in 2001. That's 19 years ago. And the technology that runs that product and that business, it, I mean, it might as well have been 1801. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> it, 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 we, the world has just changed dramatically. And so why do I bring that up? Well, there's, there's all kinds of opportunity to disrupt mm -hmm. existing categories, existing businesses uh, with the latest and greatest. So that's kind of one line of thinking. And then the other is a totally different line of thinking, which is what are things that we don't even think about or, or utilize or imagine today that we know will take place? And AI is a, such a big part of that. Uh, we have an amazing data science team at High Alpha working on the next set of innovations on you know, how computers can help us as humans do better in, in our jobs. Uh, it's not to replace humans, it's more to help us make decisions faster, use data in ways that we weren't otherwise able to. And, and that will provide a whole new set of tools for us as knowledge workers uh, day in and day out. I, I love that you brought up the fact that new technologies like AI just open up entirely new categories. Uh, in fact, this week's podcast was with Mark Clerken from uh, who runs your data science team. Yeah. Uh, he was phenomenal. He was our last live podcast guest nice. as well. Um, tell me a little bit about your take on people who work at software companies or who work in tech. How in-depth do they need to be staying on top of some of these new technologies, you know, even if they're not a software developer? Yeah. Yeah, I think always having a working understanding is, is, is really, really critical. And it's hard because yeah. stuff is coming at you all the time. I have trouble keeping up. I'm sure everybody has What are your go-to resources? Uh, I read a lot, of, a lot of blogs, subscribe to a lot of email newsletters. Yeah. Uh, trying to carve out time for learning is, yeah. is, is really important. Are there any ones in particular that you're like, these, these are consistently good? Are you kind of like a grazer and you see something that looks interesting and you go deeper. I'm, I'm a grazer. Me too. Yeah, I'm yeah. a grazer. I'd love to tell you this is the one. Yeah. But uh, I always like to find a new field to graze too, which is why I asked yeah. <laughs> if, yeah. if you had any new, yeah. new ones to check out. I've recently gotten into, with, with the Vogue Venture, a lot of uh, business music oh, interesting, uh, writing. Yeah. And that that's interesting intersection because there's a lot of tech disruption going on in, Absolutely. in, in, in that world. So yeah, I'm a grazer. Well, so talk to me a little bit about the music business. Uh, I, I, obviously, there's been a thread throughout your life and yeah. has been a creative outlet for you. Um, now it's also a business outlet for you as well. Um, how did you come together with some other entrepreneurs to buy the Vogue, which has this awesome history? Yeah. Um, how did you decide to make that plunge? Thanks for being here. It's fun to have everybody here at the Vogue. Uh, so Scott Craigie and I have known each other a long time, went to high school together and spent a year at Xavier together and been... Just really great friends. Co-founder of Moby, right? Co-founder of Moby. So as he was building Moby and I was building Batteries.com and then I go digital and we, we just were, were, were kind of business acquaintances and, and friends. Yeah. And one night at the Hi-Fi, uh, we said, hey, wouldn't it be amazing if someday we owned you know, a music venue? And, and then Scott was working with Andrew Davis and they had been 
comrades at Moby for, I don't know, five, six years. And Andrew kind of stumbled upon the fact that the Vogue uh, was looking to make a change. And, uh, and, and I was fortunate enough to just get the call from Andrew and Scott to say, hey, do you want to you do this? And it, it's been a, such a special partnership uh, to work with those guys and then to inherit what is, you know, frankly didn't know what a city treasure it was. Yeah. T- tell me a little bit about it. What's the story of this place? Uh, knowing that we probably only have about five, ten, five, ten minutes <laughs> yeah. left. But yeah. what, what are some of the, what's the arc of the Vogue? Because, I mean, it's been... Uh, movie theater, right? Yeah. At, at one point, it was maybe a not uh, not G-rated, not G-rated movie theater, not G-rated movie theater. Yeah, um, if these a, walls could talk. But also, like Willie Nelson has played here. Yeah. I remember when Snoop Dogg was coming through yeah. here. Oh yeah, Snoop, yeah. We've had some amazing artists on the stage, and and hopefully that trend continues. Uh, built in 1938. Wow. Uh, one of the first movie theaters. I think it was the second movie theater in Indianapolis. Oh no, kidding. And uh, and went through a, a transition. And you kind of fast forward to modern times. It's been. Uh, a nightclub. It's been a concert venue. It's kind of gone back and forth as as music trends have changed and as broad ripples change. Sure. What I love about it is it it serves a lot of different audiences with a lot of different genres and a lot of different types of events. Mm. And I think that uh, potpourri is really interesting. You know, one night we'll have a bluegrass band. The next night there's a rap artist. Uh, we had esports in here last night. Uh, we do movies every Monday, kind of back to the original roots. A lot of private events where companies are doing, uh, you know, corporate retreats or offsites. Uh, we're just trying to get the community in here. And what one of the things we've heard uh, in this journey is, is gosh, I haven't been here since I was, you know, however old. And and I think people forget about the Vogue. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're trying to, you know, you talk about marketing and marketing tech. We're trying to use a lot of the the tools. Uh, out there to, to to remind people that we're here. Very cool. Well, and I, I know um, we've had this. Is, I think our third event where we've had 300 plus people coming in. Thank you uh, for marketing tech, and thank you. I mean, it's an amazing venue. Um, the staff here is amazing. Yeah, they are. And uh, I, I'm curious. You know, you're bringing a lot of this marketing tech knowledge to the music world and the venue world. Is there anything that you're learning in the music? business and venue business that you're taking over to what you're doing at the high alpha side? Yeah, great question. Yes. Uh, I, I think the, the, the one of the risks we run in all software companies is getting uh, away from the actual customer who's using the software. And, and one of the great experiences about this, this journey for me has been getting back to being a user of software and seeing the pain points that everyday businesses, especially the size of the Vogue, go through when trying to go through a digital transformation. When we got here, everything was done on paper. And we've been going through the process that many, many companies are going through of trying to modernize and use technology to be a differentiator and to be an advantage. Well, that's not easy. Uh, and, and a lot of software companies today take for granted that their users understand how to make that leap. Uh, it's really informed me of the need to have services accompany the software, especially at the early stage, and, and also to really focus on that onboarding experience of new customers and new users to hold their hand a little bit through that process. Um, As a VC, do you ever cringe when you hear a software company has a services arm? No, I don't. I, I don't. Because I know you're not a VC. You're not creative. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I think, um, I, I think the mistake actually is, is, is shying away from it. Okay. Uh, once you achieve scale, it's super important to have you know, the, the blend of product and services figured yeah. out. But at the early stage, it's so messy. You just got to 
make customers successful. Yeah. And oftentimes the best way to do that is augmenting the software with people. That's great advice. Um, my last question for you is, what are you most excited about for Indianapolis right now? I mean, you've, you grew up here. Yeah. You started several companies here. Uh, you're still starting companies at High Alpha, investing in new businesses. What's your greatest hope for this community that's here tonight and out there in Broad Ripple? Yeah. Um, I, I, I said this to an entrepreneur earlier today who was asking for feedback on a, on a pitch. We're so humble. It's probably our greatest asset. It's also, as most things in life, the things that are so positive have a dark side. And the dark side for us is that humbleness can limit our ambition. It can limit our ability to think big at times and to feel like we belong on, on any stage. Uh, my wish for the community is to see themselves like others, frankly, see us. We have people come into High Alpha every day from both coasts and, frankly, from all over the world that say the stuff that's going on in Indianapolis is incredible. The companies being built here, the technology scene, the innovation, the quality of living. I mean, there is so much to like about what's going on. And I think we have a tendency of being like, well, yeah, shucks, of course. No, this is amazing. Like, it's an amazing place. And, and to have a little bravado about that and, and to not apologize for that. Um, and then translate that out into the business world of let's go build some amazing companies. And why, why shouldn't it happen right here in Indianapolis? I love that. That's a great question to end on. Uh, this is a great night to celebrate and take Eric's advice and share some of the stories you hear tonight from Eric, from the other entrepreneurs you're going to see here on stage. Uh, it's going to be a great evening. Thank you all for being here. And thank you, Eric, for sharing your story. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. Also, a huge thank you to Eric Tobias of High Alpha. Make sure you go check him out at highalpha.com. And for links to Eric's social profiles and the other people, companies, and resources mentioned in this episode, you can head on over to powderkeg.com and check out the show notes there. Uh, and if you're currently in the market for finding a new role, Powderkeg can connect you with some awesome tech companies between the coasts that are growing like crazy. Right now, you can apply for our free Matches platform at powderkeg.com jobs. Matches has a specialized focus on tech hubs outside of Silicon Valley, so you can easily navigate this opportunity-packed landscape for potential. Our job matching platform leverages thousands of participants, employers, and teams within our ecosystem to get you connected directly to decision makers, shortcutting the hiring process. Apply today for matches at powderkeg.com jobs. And to be among the first to hear about the stories and entrepreneurs, investors, and other tech leaders outside of Silicon Valley, subscribe to us on iTunes at powderkeg.com iTunes. I would be forever grateful if you left us a review. Uh, and if you have already, thank you so, so much. Um, I'll look for those reviews and we'll catch you next time on the Powder Cake Podcast. 